of this one chapter epistle in re- responsibly this morning. That means I'll read verses 1, 3, and 5. Would you please read with me in unison verses 2, 4, and 6. And as always, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. The second epistle of John, verses 1 through 6, and reading responsibly. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I am found in those children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as he have heard from the beginning, he should walk in it. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Uh, Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you would take your eternal truth, speak to every heart this morning. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of their righteous judgments are true. And I pray that, Lord, you might bless, speak to hearts, be with those who know not Christ as Savior today. Spirit of God, work in their heart, and it's only you can do. Bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ. We'll be sure to praise you for all that you do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Second John. Second John, if you're just joining us, we've just preached 37 straight messages from the book of First John. Verse by verse, we saw the key word. In fact, all 37 of our messages began with the two words, I know. And of course, I know whom I have believed. And we know that uh, the, the scriptures tell us that we can know that we are in Christ through his son, the Lord Jesus. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So the key word of the first epistle of John is the word know. We don't have a key verse this morning for 2 John, but we have a key word. And I want you to note it. It's found five times in the first four verses of this tiny epistle. Notice it with me. And when we get to our key word, I'll stop and you'll catch, you'll catch on and figure out what the key word is to Second John, the entire book. Notice for the first four verses one more time. The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the, help me out, truth. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Thank you. Help me out, please. Verse number two. For the, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Five times in four verses we find that word truth. We want to look at this aged apostle this morning here in the way of introduction for the 
body of the message, understand what's taking place in this year of AD 90. Some say 90, upwards to AD 95. Some say as low as 19, uh, AD 85. But I want to give you an education or background to the second John so the message makes sense. We'll do it rather quickly here. But I want you to understand this is the end of the first century. This is written probably from the idolatrous city of Ephesus. We talked about little children, keep yourself from idols last Sunday morning from the last verse of the previous book. This idol-worshiping world that John lived in. I want you to notice three things about this world of A.D. 90 or so. First of all, there was the elimination of Jerusalem. For you that don't know your history, in A.D. 70, after a three-and-a-half-year siege, the Roman general Titus, Rome finally got fed up with the Jews and Israel, and they came in to besiege Jerusalem for three-and-a-half years. They desecrated the, the temple. In fact, they took Herod's temple that took 46 years to build, and they leveled it to rubble. The, the sacrifices were no more. I don't know what the population of Jerusalem was at that time, but historians believe it had to be over a million because Josephus, the, the historian, records that a million one hundred thousand Jews were crucified in Jerusalem. Uh, this, we see the elimination of Jerusalem as a, as a nation, or rather as a city. Can you imagine Washington, D.C. being totally eliminated? And some would say that would be a good thing. No, don't go there. But, but uh, the elimination of Jerusalem, this is a serious business. It's gone. Then we see also in this late first, uh, the end of this first century, there was the emaciation of Judaism in the church. The emaciation of Judaism. Obviously, the Jews, this is the, the Holocaust of the 1940s, of course, that we know so well, there was a Holocaust of the Jews in the late century, first century. And many of them were, were killed, of course. There was only a remnant left. And the church started in Acts chapter 2. We'll be there tonight in the evening message. The church started with all Jews. And now at this point, it's almost all Gentiles. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received, to, to, received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so we see in this latter half of this first century the elimination of Jerusalem as a city the emaciation of Judaism in the church. And then thirdly, we see the explosion of apostasy within the ranks of the just. And heresy had already crept into the early first century church. Serinthianism or docetism or the denial that Jesus Christ actually came in the flesh, the denial of deity that he was, Jesus, or he was God in the flesh. Already these infant heresies were creeping into the church. And that's why the second half of this little book of 2 John, notice verse number 7. It says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Yes, Jesus did come. He did come in the flesh. He did come as the God-man. And so we see the emaciation of Judaism, but we see the explosion of apostasy within the ranks of the just. In Acts 20 and verse 29, you need not turn there, but the Bible says, Paul said 30-some years earlier, he said, I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves slip in amongst you, not sparing the flock. And we're living in a day of apostasy today. But I want you to know the roots of apostasy were very prevalent even in this first century. So we see this, the end of this first century, but then in the way of introduction to this book, notice with me the first two words of the 
first verse, the elder. Notice the elder John. Quickly, he's, he'd be with an elder by title. The word elder is the Greek word presbuteros. Obviously, the Presbyterians take their name from this word presbuteros. The literal translation of the word presbuteros is president of the assembly. And we, Christianity doesn't have popes, but if there was one senior uh, person in Christianity at this time, it would be John, as we're going to find out the last of the apostles. So he's called a presbyteros, or the, the president of the assembly, or the elder by title, by, not only by title, but by, by seniority, both as a Christian and as an apostle. He's one of the oldest living Christians. He's the only Christian, no doubt, at this time period in life that had the privilege of putting his, laying his head on the bosom of Jesus Christ. He knew him personally. He walked with him and talked with him. And he was the only apostle at the cross of Calvary. He's the last apostle to be living, the sent one. And then, of course, he was thirdly an elder by age. John's probably 90 years of age at this time. He's talking to youngsters, relatively speaking, in this text, as we're going to find out. And that leads us to, in way of introduction, the first phrase of the first verse, the elder unto the elect lady... Now, the word elect there is the Greek word electos. And the lady, the word lady there is the, the feminine form of the word kurios. That's the Greek word for Lord in the New Testament. And so she's a lady of, she's elected, she's chosen, she's preeminent, she's prominent. This lady and this elect lady, and letter A on our worksheet, you that are filling this out here, I'd like to do that. You say, who is this elect lady? Possibly, and I think also probably, in actuality, she was a godly woman. And the Bible speaks about her children in, in this very text. And so this was a lady that the elder John wrote to. He called her an elect, precious lady, chosen of God, lady that, and her children. But I think more succinctly, not denying the first probably actuality that this was literally, there was literally a woman that this book was written to. Like Timothy was written to Paul's young son in the faith, First and Second Timothy. This was written first maybe to a woman and her children. But we find out later on in this book that, that this woman had a church in her house. That's Lord willing next week's message we'll get to. But I want you to know that probably that this elect lady is also referring to the assembly of believers, or in other words, the church. Follow me. You know how we name ships. You never have a man's name for a ship. Ships are always, uh, are always in the feminine. Uh, we are the church of Jesus Christ, ecclesia, is in the feminine. After all, Jesus is the bridegroom, and we are the what? Bride. And so the church is in the feminine. And so I think, and it doesn't do disservice to the text, that this elder John wrote to an elect lady, maybe a literal lady, a personal lady, but I think he was also writing to a church. And I think this is a, 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 an analogy of a church. Look at verse 13 of the same book. It says, last verse, the children of thy elect sister uh, greet thee. Amen. We're going over to one of our sister churches, Lord willing, next Monday night. We're going over to Tabernacle Baptist Church in New Britain. 
one of our many sister churches, we call them. We don't have brother churches, we have sister churches. And uh, here it seems to be that the illusion is that he's writing to a local church, which much of the New Testament was written to local, these epistles were written to churches, local assemblies. But as I'm preaching to you this morning, I'm preaching to you, the individual, whoever you are. I'm preaching just to you, you're right, I'm singling you out. But I'm also preaching to the church. And so John writes this epistle. He writes to the elect lady, singularly, this woman with children and, and possibly, probably plurally to the church in general. But then I want you to notice as we now take the body of our text and we notice that key word, the key word of 1 John being no, K-N-O-W, the key word of 2 John being the word truth. I want you to notice what it says. The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Think with me for just a moment the eternality of truth. Truth never changes. Truth is not relative. Truth is not what you want to make it be. Truth is not your opinion. Truth is constant. The Bible says in Psalm 100 and verse number 5, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his, do you know it? His truth, what? Endureth to all generations. Say that again, ready? His truth endureth to all generations. You know, time out. For, no offense. This used to be a verse that everybody used to memorize, Psalm 100. Psalm verse number five. I memorized this as a child. I didn't even go to church. But I memorized it as a child because of going to vacation Bible school for two weeks. Let's try verse number five together. I'll start it. You finish it with me. The Bible says, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Now that was, you were supposed to repeat with me. Let's try it again. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Here we go. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. And all God's people said, Amen. Psalm 117 verse 2 says this. Now by the way, not trying to embarrass you, but what is Psalm 117 distinct distinct for. Do you know what Psalm 117 is notable about? It's the shortest. Who, who said that? You get an A on your paper. Whoever said that? It's the shortest chapter in the Bible. There's just two verses to Psalm 117. The shortest chapter in the Bible says, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. And so there's the eternality of truth. The eternality of the word of God forever, O Lord, that word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119.85. And then there's the eternality of the person of truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, do you know it? Today and forever. So the eternality of truth, you can't change truth. And so I want you to know this is aged apostle John the revelator, this elder, by title, by seniority, by age. He writes to this elect woman, this godly woman, he writes to the church and he expounds truth. And he says, first of all, letter, verse number one, the latter part of the verse, he says, learn the truth. Learn the truth. That's, you know, that's why we're here this morning. This is catechism class right now. This is, we're learning doctrine. We're learning the truth of the word of God. This is, this is school, the most important type of school there is. 
as we are here to worship as well. But notice what it says, the latter part of the verse. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Do you know the truth this morning? In order to know the truth, you have to, first of all, begin to learn the truth. Jesus is, first of all, I want you to notice that Jesus is ultimate, or ultimate reality or truth is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me be succinct so you understand what I'm trying to say. There is no truth outside of Jesus Christ. He's the embodiment of truth. Notice, if you would, please, 1 John chapter 5, the preceding verses of the previous book, verse 19. And we know that we are of God. I mentioned it two weeks ago when we preached on this. That's pretty audacious. John says, we know we are of God. I know I'm of God. You say, wow, that's, that's proud, that's arrogant. I know I'm of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. Verse 20 of the previous book, previous chapter. And we know that the Son of God has come. I know Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,018 years ago. He was born in a manger. He lived in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. He lived in Nazareth. He, he, he lived for 33 years on this earth. He went to Jerusalem and he died outside the gates. He died for our sins and then three days later he rose from that tomb. I know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. I know him. Pastor Palmer preached that this morning. That we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. I want you to know ultimate reality, truth is found in Jesus Christ. John 8, 32, Jesus said to the woman, and ye shall know the truth. Do you know it? And the truth shall set you free. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, he wanted his disciples to know before he went to the cross. He saith, Thomas said, Lord, we know not where the Lord goes, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can you finish it with me? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them through thy word, thy word is truth. So in learning the truth, we must understand that ultimate reality, truth, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, in regards to this truth that we learn, that we know, that truth is objective revelation from the Father. Truth comes from the Father. Verse number three, look what it says. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father. James 1, 16 and 17 reminds us that every good and perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Everything good in your life you get you got from the Father, the Heavenly Father. Everything good. By him we live and move and have our being. When... Peter, when in Matthew chapter 16, when Peter, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? I could ask you personally, individually, who do you say Jesus is? Just a good teacher? Just a moral guide? Just an avatar? Just some prophet? Like one of the other prophets? The disciples said when they were asked that question, they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah the prophet. Some say you're Elijah, or others say you're one of the prophets. But Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? 
Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said these words to Peter in Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Jesus said in John 6, 44, No man can come unto me except the Father that sent me draw him. I've been trying to be a little bit more about family, personal family, in the last couple of weeks. Most of you know about my dad, of course, uh, a couple of three weeks ago, he had his kidney taken out at 81 years of age. He's home now and uh, doing, doing great for 81 and losing a kidney. And, uh, but I was thinking of my brothers. And I always have to be careful when I get personal. But I have two, two younger brothers. They're younger, 57, 55. And uh, they're, they're not found in church this morning, I can promise you that much. I don't want to impugn or castigate my brothers too much. I love them. And I believe they love me with a filial love, with a brotherly love, but not the love of God because for some reason, and I can't explain this other than by the grace of God, other than by the revealing of the Spirit of God or the, the Father. But one day, the Father reached down and touched my heart. He didn't touch my brother's hearts. He touched my heart. I can't say can't say anything boastful about that. I have often said why. It's only by grace. But I'm telling you that this truth is objective in revelation. I know that the Father touched my heart. I know that he revealed himself unto me through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That leads me to a third learning or third knowing in regards to learning the truth and that is, truth is also subjective experience in our personal lives. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? In John chapter 9, if we were to turn there, we need not. But there's a man, and I got to stand by the ruins of the Pool of Siloam there in Jerusalem, just a few, couple hundred yards away or so from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And the remnants of that pool are still there. There's a man that sat there for 38 years. He was blind. Jesus came and touched his eyes and, and healed him. And he was walking and leaping like the man of Acts chapter 4 when Peter and James, Peter and John healed uh, the lame man. And uh, he was healed. And the Pharisees came and said, Who opened your eyes? And he said, and he, they asked the question, is he a sinner? Who, 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 who declare thou unto us? And this man said, in regards to what he knew about Jesus Christ, he says, whether he be a sinner or no, he says, I know not. But one thing I know, once I was blind, but now I see. He knew that he had, he had gotten sight. He knew he had been, received life and he received sight. One day I was lost on my way to hell. And one day, maybe you can give testimony where you, lo you knew you were lost and undone. Hey, nobody's been, ever been saved that hasn't been lost first. Don't ever forget that. If you don't know of your lost condition, you don't know of a saved condition. We were lost. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. The light of the world is Jesus. Once I was lost, but Jesus Christ came in and flooded my heart and 
revealed himself to me and I called upon Christ to save, save me from my sin and I was born again. I didn't know many things about the doctrines of God. I didn't know about who Jesus Christ was in totality. I knew he was the son of God. I didn't know he was God the son at that time. I didn't know he was born of a virgin. I didn't know all those deep things of God. But I, I knew that something different happened in my life. The Bible says, For I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You know, Ty, if I could belabor and use you one more time here. I didn't know Ty was going to sing Amazing Grace this morning, and I didn't know until just a couple, three hours ago he was even going to sing. But his testimony, when he sang, not just because he happens to have a better voice than I do. Man, I'm bummed out. But no, I'm teasing. <laughs> Wish I had a good voice. But it had nothing to do with the, 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 the degree of his voice. Had to, I saw beyond his voice, I saw his heart. He spoke with me to my ears through the, through, the, uh, through, the, through noise, of course, through the song, but he spoke to my heart. How's that happen? There's a subjective experience. I say, someone changed that man's life. Someone changed my life. You are a living testament, a living, written epistle, written in men's hearts, that something different has changed in your life. We'll sing the song, we always wait till Easter to sing it, or Resurrection Sunday, don't we? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives. He lives within my heart. Try with me. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. John the Revelator learned the truth. But not only did he learn the truth, after he learned the truth, he learned to love the truth. Verse 1 still. The Bible says, And unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love, I love in the truth quickly. This love of the truth contains two truths in regards to love. First of all, there's the love the truth. Love the truth. The Bible says, Second Thessalonians 2.10, and all and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they may might be saved the love of the truth oh i love thy truth is thy laws thy meditation all the day long i love the gospel the good news of jesus christ i love that word saved s a v e d i love i i know what that word means and it pricks in my heart I love that, the, the, the truth of being born again in Jesus Christ. Some people hear those words born again and saved and the word of God and they recoil and they mock and they laugh. But no, I love the truth. I want to hear it in the word of God. I want to, I want to read it. I want to meditate upon it. I want to know the truth. John says, love the truth. But not only love the truth, but love those in the truth. To love one another, and we're going to see this through the rest of this book here, or the rest of these verses here, but 1 Peter 1.22, seeing that ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth 
through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Look at 3 John, the first verse of 3 John. Notice it with me. It says, the elder unto, there's John the, the, the elder again, unto the well-beloved Gaius, this time he writes to a man, whom I love in the truth. There's a brotherly love. There's a love, a love of those that are in the truth. I have a family, and uh, again, we have, Sonny and I have blood family. We love our blood family, and I think they love us too. But we also have our church family. We also have the family of God. I won't sing another song for you, but uh, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the... How's it go? I've been washed in the... I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Help me out. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been... I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the Spirit and cleansed by His blood. Okay, we got it. Great job. I couldn't think of the words. Mental block there. Senior moment. Love, love those, those in the truth. But then I want you to know in review here, and we'll get to point number three, just four points. We, have the, we need to learn the truth, know the truth. We need to, that's with our mind. We need to have our mind educated. We need to hear the word, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to then love the truth. That's with our heart. Many people, some people know the truth, but they don't love the truth. John, not only he knew the truth and he learned the truth and disseminated the truth, but he, he loved the truth. But then I want you to notice verse 2 and verse 3 quickly. Notice that he lived the truth. It's one thing to know or learn the truth. It's even another thing to love the truth, but how about living with your lips and with your life and your feet the truth? Notice what it says, verse 2. For the truth's sake, we're, we're to be living epistles written and read, read of all men. We're to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. John uses that word as a Johannine word there. That word dwelleth or that word remain or abide. We saw it numbers of times through the previous epistle. This truth that dwells in us, that lives through us. And I want you to notice truth embodies several things. Verse 4. Truth embodies grace. Grace be with you. Truth envelopes grace. So where truth dwells, grace dwells. Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. We are not saved by love, but by grace. Grace is love that paid, uh, paid a price. It was God so loved the world that he gave. But by grace, he didn't have to give. But he gave anyhow. Grace is giving to us what we don't deserve. Listen, if anybody in this room thinks you deserve heaven, you don't have it. Religious people don't go to heaven because they deserve it. You go to heaven by pure grace. By the Father. 
So this truth is enveloped or it, grace is, is included in, in, it's enveloped in truth. But verse three, grace be with you, with you and uh, be with you and, and then mercy. Notice that mercy as well, where truth dwells, mercy dwells. Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Mercy is not giving to us what we do deserve. Just popped in my head here. I guess I'll say it. Listen, this church believes, not that we're anybody, but I believe in a place called hell. I believe I was saved from hell. You don't have a right to say you're going to heaven if you don't believe in hell. There is a heaven, there is hell. I believe it because the word of God teaches it. And I, for one, was saved from there. I'm not a universalist. I don't believe that everybody, God will forgive everybody just because he's merciful. No, his mercy is everlasting for the Christian. One day his mercy will end for the non-Christian. It's by mercy. See, truth is embodied, or mercy is embodied in truth, rather. Grace is embodied in truth. But thirdly, notice what verse 3 says. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father. Where truth dwells, peace dwells. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And last, I'll leave it a little evasive, but in the last 24 hours, there's somebody that I just shared a little witness with. I've talked to him many times before and just tried to encourage this person in the things of God. They were cordial, but they didn't want to hear it, I could tell. It's like, oh, there he goes again. You know, leave me alone. And God is not at war with that lost sinner. But that lost sinner is at war with God. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject unto the law of God, neither indeed can be. That person is fighting against God. There's no peace without the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And fourthly, verse number three says, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, this is the only time we had this construction here in regards to the Trinity, the two first and second person of the Godhead. It says, notice it with me before we move on to the last phrase, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and the Apostle John. Not on equal grounds. John had no mercy or grace or peace to give. But Jesus, he's co-equal with the Father. And he's the Son of the Father, distinct entity. One God manifested in three persons. Greatest mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. Don't let the Jehovah false witness tell you that Christians believe in three gods. We do not. We're monotheists, we're Trinitarians. We believe in one God manifested in three persons. You say, I don't understand that. Well, if you understood that, you'd be God. Greatest mystery of godliness. I believe in a superhuman God that's much more infinitely smarter than I could ever be in a million lifetimes. That's the God I serve. And that's the Savior that saved me. And so we see this God, God the Son, 
he that hath the, Jesus said in John 5, if you have not the Son, you don't have the Father either. It says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And I want you to know where truth dwells, love dwells. We love him first because he first what? Loved us. You cannot know true love, a God be love, unless you know God. You can know a Philadelphia love, a philatelic love of your brother, of your brother, earthly brother or sister, what have you. But you can't know deep love, godly love, until you know God, because God is love. And so I'm telling you that within the body of truth, there's grace. Within the body of truth, there's mercy. Within truth dwells peace, and within truth dwells love. Now that brings me to verses 4 to 6, and we will be quick. And I do mean that. Notice what it says, verse number 4. I rejoiced greatly that I, found, uh, that I found of thy children walking in truth. John's an old man now. He's saying, listen, I've learned the truth. I know the truth. I love the truth, and therefore I love you, the people of the truth. I live the truth, and because I, I, every day I live and I receive his grace and his mercy and his peace and his love. But then he's saying to these, this select lady, this church, I believe, and these young children, the church members, he's saying, he's leaving the truth with others. He's saying, I'm getting ready to pass off the scene. And I want to I wanna give you three things, letter A, B, and C, and I'm going to hurry through this here. Notice John's applause. John's applause. I rejoiced greatly that I found thy children walking in truth. John's applause. Nothing to make him happier. What would you trade? What would you want? Would you want to have a million dollars? Or let's make it a billion dollars for fun. Would you want to have a billion dollars dropped in your lap? Or would you want your children to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and live for God? I'll take my children living for God any day of the year. Over all the riches of the world. My grandchildren. John says the greatest thing you could do is live in the truth. Paul said that to his believers in Thessalonica. He said... In chapter 2 and verse 19, he said, For what is your, our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? John said, Listen, I, the best thing you can make me, the happiest you could possibly make me is that you live for the Lord. Hey, let me bear my soul as a pastor. The best thing you could do for me, the best gift you could ever give to me is that you live for the Lord. I mean that. I mean that with all my heart. I'll give an account one day of you. And I want to do it with joy. Hebrews 13. Live for the Lord. They got John's applause, but then they got John's argument. Verse number four, middle part of the verse. He says, walking in truth as he have received a commandment from the Father, a specific, if you will, argument. He says, in a, it was in a, we see John's, John's argument. He says, I want you to live for the Lord, I want you to live and I want you to love one another. And it says in 1 John 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. We see John's argument. And then we see, thirdly, John's appeal, verses 5 and 6. Quickly with me, please. Verse 5. 
And now I beseech thee, lady, I'm begging you, I'm imploring with you, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which ye have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments, that this is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. He's talking about this commandment, this commandment of love. And you'll notice John's appeal. In the previous book, he talks about a new commandment I give unto you. Jesus said a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. But love is as old as the Old Testament. Love, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord of the God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and great commandment, Deuteronomy 6. Love, we see, love thy neighbor as thyself, love, your, love the stranger. We see love in the Old Testament, we see love in the New Testament. This is not a new commandment in time. But it is a new commandment in three ways. One, two, three. Number one, it's a new commandment in emphasis. In emphasis. Hebrews 10, 25 says this. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves as a manner as some is. But exhorting ourselves and so much the more. As you see the day approaching. Quickly. Folks, this is 2018 if you checked lately. I've been following this thing, this Christendom in America for a lot of years now. We're living in a day of Christianity light. We're living in a day of less church, not more church. You don't have to come to Harvest Baptist Church and hear a pump bumbling preacher misspeak and say words wrong and so forth. You can hear orators on the radio or in television, 10,000 strong, if not more, that do a better job of communicating the Word of God. You can hear them at 2 o'clock in the morning on the internet. You don't have to get up, get dressed up, and get to church on a Sunday morning to hear the Word of God. You can take your pick whenever you want to hear it now. And Americans are doing it by the millions. And we're going to an one-hour entertainment Christianity at our churches all across America. And we're forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. John says, no, I want you to love all the more and emphasis so much more as you see the day approaching. An example... Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. Anybody love your brother like Jesus loves you? I didn't think so. That we also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one one towards another. John's appeal was that the love would be with a renewed emphasis, with the example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and with the experience of, by the Holy Spirit of God, or enabled by the Holy Spirit of God, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us, Romans 5, 5, by experience. Now hear me, and I'm done. John writes this letter. It's obviously probably his second to last letter that he writes. Third John is coming. He could have wrote these words, of course, inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, could have wrote these words in, what, 20 minutes maybe? The Lord only knows how long it took him. Maybe even longer, shorter than that. But he also knew that he was ready to pass off the scene. John's been gone for, obviously, over 1,900 years. But Revelation 14 and verse 13 reminds us of this truth. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. From hereafter, from the first century to forward. 
Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. The Bible says, then their works do follow. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm one person that thanks God for the book of the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. John gave us that. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, speaking about Enoch and every Christian that's gone on before us, he being dead, yet speaketh. You see, this truth that endures to all generations, this truth that, not my truth, not your truth, but we came into the truth, the truth was revealed to us, we got his grace, we got his mercy, we got his peace, we got his love, we get eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This truth we learn, we know, we love, we live, but then the Bible expects us, the Bible tells us to leave it for others, pass it on. I don't want to end on a negative, but I want to speak to our older congregation for just a moment here. Folks, our congregation, like, by the way, tens of thousands of congregations all across America are getting older. Revelation. We're losing our millennials. I don't mean to hurt you. We're losing our millennials. They're dropping out. The Generation Z crowd, they say that's the teenager, or that's the junior hires and elementary kids today. They're being inculcated in school. I saw a statistic that should shock all of us. That kids are no longer believing in God like they used to when they were, when 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. What shall be the generation to come? John says it's not good enough for me just to learn to learn the truth myself, to love it myself, to live it myself. I must pass it on that others might know that Jesus Christ is the way. Love or living the truth past a lifetime. I want when I die, if Lord Terryson is coming, I want people to live in part because they saw my life and they remember my, what I did and they'll say, you know what? I need to live for God too. I need to carry the torch. How about you as well? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, help us. The lovers of the truth in this room. Lord, I'd like to believe that it's everyone in this room, but Lord, I, I know not the heart. Lord, I like to think that everyone in this room uh, has learned the truth and knows the truth mentally. But Lord, that won't send a man to heaven by just knowing the truth. We must not only love the truth, but we must come into the truth and live the truth by receiving Jesus Christ as our only Savior. There's no salvation, there's no truth, there's no mercy, grace, and peace and love outside of Christ. You're in the embodiment of truth, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that truth. Lord, may we disseminate it to others. I pray for those that might need to receive Christ as Savior today. Have your will and way in our hearts and lives, we pray. Bless these moments of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, let's take our hymn book this morning and turn to